0: I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices.
1: leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> rugby rugby weekly. A little reverse
2: Magic. Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. This podcast is brought to you by Volkswagen, a proud sponsor of Irish Rugby. Gavin Casey here in studio. And I'm joined, as always, by Murray Kinsella of the 42, a very busy Murray Kinsella. How are you, Murray? Yeah, good.
0: I was just down with uh, Conor O'Shea there. He's doing a bit of promotional stuff in Dublin today. So plenty of interesting things on uh, that he had to say for himself, talking about Mike Cat and, and what he's going to do with Ireland. So that's um, to come tomorrow. So people can look forward to that. And yesterday I was over at the Pro 14 launch, as it was kind of termed. <laughs> Obviously, the World Cup was kind of dominating the agenda early in the season. But uh, all the ca- uh, coaches and a few players were there and... Got loads of stuff out there as well. People can probably see it on the 42 already, but it was a, a busy day. Yeah, loads of, loads of interviews.
2: Yeah, we're joined as well in studio by Bernard Jackman. How are you keeping, Bernard? Good, thank you. Yeah. Excellent. A couple of like newsy things to talk about today. Bit of an odd weekend that we're going back into Pro 14 and the teams at the weekend are going to be quite experimental. A Sort of a one-week break from the Champions Cup before it returns in earnest with two absolutely pivotal fixtures for each of the provinces, really. Uh, but we're going to kick off with the a six-week ban for eye-gouging on behalf of Pierre Bourguery. Um, yeah. It's kind of extraordinary, really. I, I, I suppose in the statement released, they attempt to qualify it based on their own policies and rules, essentially. Um like it was an independent disciplinary committee, typically the statement was, it was decided that the offence was at the top end of world rugby sanctions for contact with the eye area. However, it was also decided that there was no reason to consider a sanction greater than the minimum entry point of 12 weeks. There were no aggravating. No aggravating factors and taking into account the player's guilty plea, clear disciplinary record and timely expression of remorse. The committee reduced the sanction by the maximum of 50% before imposing a six week suspension. Yeah,
0: I was shocked at this. I thought it was going to be a couple of months. I thought it needed to be. It was so blatant. The play actually stopped and everyone was obviously pushing and shoving. And I mean, I'm sure Bougueri argued that he didn't know exactly where he was putting his hand, but he, there's sustained pressure. I think they actually, they mentioned that, don't they? Like, what do you have to do to get beyond 12 weeks? Get your finger into the side of their eyeball. Like, it's, it's to me, it's incredible that it's only a 12-week entry point. There's the usual 50%, which by now we're all sick of. What, what else is he going to do apart from turn up and be remorseful? He put his finger in, in, into someone's face towards their eye. Luckily, Tom Curry has his eye closed, but there's, there is, for me, sustained pressure there. I think it's a disgusting act. It doesn't belong anywhere in life. Don't go near someone's eyes, regardless whether it's rugby. I just think it's farcical. Like, players are getting... Will Aslan gets four weeks for poor tackle technique, whatever. That's a separate issue. But all all, all the, the gap is, is two weeks for putting your finger into someone's eye. It's just absolutely insane to me. And I think the reaction has been completely understandable. People cannot under... Cannot appreciate why a, a disciplinary committee doesn't feel this deserves a, a greater suspension. Go higher in the in the top end scale. It goes up to 52 weeks. Completely dissuade anyone from even recklessly thinking about doing that or, or making that accidental contact. Keep your, f- keep your fingers away from people's face. Ah, but accidental
2: contact, I find nonsensical, actually, because.
0: And that isn't even the case here.
2: No, it's, it's, it's absolutely certainly not. Uh, if you have your hand near somebody's eye, you're going to be able to identify that it's a fucking eye like there aren't a lot of parts of the body that feel like an eyeball you know what I mean it, it, surely the compulsion is to just if it is accidental and your hand is strayed there uh, to remove it
1: immediately you know mm. rather than apply pressure uh, Bernard your overall thoughts oh, on yeah, it yeah, firstly? I think it's a it's a massive it's a bad the, bad uh, uh, ban for the game. I think you know globally we you know we don't um, do ourselves uh, any justice by being so lenient on on something which was horrendous. And uh, I actually you know I, I, other compared to other examples of gouging where you know potentially it was a spur of the moment, it was a second reaction. Like this guy wasn't even involved in the in the initial scuffle, and he comes in and puts his hand there. And um, I just can't understand. And I actually, you know there should be a. A way of actually readdressing like an appeal against uh, appeal against the lack of severity to it, you know what I mean realistically like it's so out of order with where we want the game to go um you know whoever I know there's probably rules in place, but I would like to see the e r c or World Ruby actually uh, make a point that this isn 't actually acceptable. this is way off where we want to go and um unfortunately, and I noticed from playing playing against French teams and and uh, coaching down there that they don't see the gouge. As negatively as we do, and see it as a cowardly act. You know, the fourchette is called, um, mm. and you know, there was always just this, this kind of uh, machoism around. You know, when they come to our place, you know, we'll give them the fourchette, and you know, and, and we'll get stuck into them, and they won't want to know about it. And um, and I actually really believed and hoped that it was gone. It was gone. It was it was a, something from the dark ages. Um, and I, as much as I hated seeing the incident. I thought, okay, well, this is another opportunity to, to really show strong leadership and show that we don't want that to be part of a game and that ban and, and that, whether it's, Twenty weeks or whatever, uh, or longer. You know that goes around um, the the world media and people go, people read that and the kids read and see. You know we're not going to tolerate it, and then then they just go and give a, a six week ban, which is completely ridiculous. Mm. EBZO have the right to appeal it. Well, I hope, I yeah, hope I am not they sure if they did or not, but yeah, it's a great point. Yeah, they I think should I think appeal it. I, I think they should appeal it. Yeah, and, and we obviously clubs and players appealing bans because of um, they feel it's too severe. Well, this is a case where the governing body um, need to go hang on. You know. That, that citing committee didn't actually um, fulfil their role which is protect player safety in a strong enough way and readdress and even if it doesn't get changed and it stays at six weeks for whatever reasons at least they're showing that yeah. they don't agree with it you know and because uh, they're not they're, they're quick enough to, to make decisions in fairness you know we're going to talk about the Ulster one you know, where um on the pitch uh, the referee felt it wasn't a yellow card, but in fairness they come in on the back of that and, and they make probably what was the correct decision, you know, for head to head contact. So it's not like they don't disagree with their officials at times, particularly referees. Um well, why don't I have a look at the citing the committee that who, who who made the judgment um in this case for the gouging and say we don't actually we wanna see why and we wanna go through this again because mm. I don't believe it's a strong enough message.
0: Yeah. They say there's no reason to, to consider a sanction greater than 12 weeks. There's so much reason. Yeah.
1: Burns just outlined it. That's a just ludicrous stamp thing. stamp out
0: of the game. Like, just, it's discu- like. like, we don't see it very often
1: anymore, Yeah, thankfully. Um, uh, but, you know, we don't want it ever in our game. We just want it to be completely out of it. And, unfortunately, this isn't a strong enough message for professionals, amateurs, you know, kids, That, that that's not going to be tolerated. Were you,
0: mm. Were you ever gouged when you played?
1: Yeah, I was gouged a few times. It's the most... Frightening uh, thing you can do because often you're trapped, uh, particularly when you're hooker in a scrum and the second row. Like this is back 15 years ago, whatever. But your your arms are obviously around your props. You can't get your hands in to protect yourself, and uh, there's a hand, there's a hand on your face, and and they're looking for um, they're looking for your eye and and trying to push it in there. It's it's absolutely it's the grossest. Uh, and when I went to France, and went to Grenoble, and I could see. That, that that wasn't a I suppose a, a, a behaviour that was was seen as being cowardly and negative, you know. I pretty much, got my back up a little bit. Um, but with fairness, we stamped it out in in, in our club, and and we, we changed you know the perception of that. But um, and I genuinely thought it was gone. But I, 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 it is gone. Sorry, it's it's a, it's way less prevalent. Um, but every so often I think the governing bodies need to come in and, and and really show strong strong leadership and they've missed this opportunity.
0: Yeah, it is still it is still part of the amateur game yeah, in oh, for sure I remember is. my yeah. I like, played amateur rugby over there. The yeah. first game, I'd never been gouged, I'd never even yeah. thought of someone gouging yeah. me. And it was it is frightening. And after the match I was talking to some of the teammates and they they just said, Oh, it's part of the game. Yeah. We do it. And I just couldn't get over it. But by making a statement at the top of the game with so many things, not just even this issue, yeah. issue that's that's where you set your soul out. And I think they've completely missed the opportunity and they've almost said, yeah, that's okay. Get on with it.
2: it. It's such a strange cultural quirk within the sport as well. Like Bernard, you're saying, you don't, we don't want it in our game. Obviously, we, you know, you wouldn't want it in any game. No, I'm actually, sorry, yeah. no, no uh, sorry. Yeah. I'm not, I don't mean to correct you. Yeah. Like what you said is absolutely spot on. But what I mean is it's not actually prevalent in really any other sport. Like MMA, if, yeah. if you poke somebody in the eye, even as you're striking by accident, there's a an apology and a touch of love. Sure. Even when they take it to the ground, yeah. there's no eye gouging, you know, like yeah. it's. And I suppose people would perceive that sport in some sections to be barbaric. It's just such a weird thing that it's Mm. become, that it's been a part of rugby for so long. As you mentioned, Bernard, it is dissipating. But if you want to fully stamp it out, maybe, maybe as part of uh, your statement, when you're issuing the sanction, explain to people, if, if, say, in France or other areas, they kind of think, oh, it's not so bad. Explain to people why it's horrendous you know Like yeah, I
1: haven't actually followed the French reaction to this but I'd be shocked if they're out, as outraged as we are yeah. you know and uh, they might be even feeling that they're the victim of this but um, again but that's the reality and, and you know people are entitled to I suppose their opinion but it's up to the it's up to the governing bodies and the and the lawmakers who have you know are the uh, guardians of our, of our game to to show the way you know mm. and um, eventually they'll adapt to that you know um, there's lots of things that happened the massive mill that studies to happen in French rugby don't happen very often at top 14 anymore they still happen in federal one federal two but you look at you know how how the discipline process runs there they don't get bad sanctions for for it you know we were in, when I was in Grenoble we had a huge bust up with with Breve. Um, it was disgraceful, and uh, there was there was maybe maybe forty players involved, and the top fourteen came down on both teams really hard, and you know it, you know we were all, like it stopped it, you know players were told in uncertain certain uh, terms that this is unacceptable, and you know I, I, there wasn't any more like that in in my time there. So, but if if that had been just pushed under the carpet you know i can be, i would have been i'd be sure that that could that could have happened again in, in the return game or or two weeks later so um the game needs protected it from itself sometimes and for, and the e r c in this instance haven't i don't think you know followed uh followed their their responsibilities to the to the uh right degree just before
2: we move on from it um I thought it was interesting that you said when you went into Grenoble, you would have changed the perception of it or at least contributed to the perception of it changing. How
1: how do you go about that? Well, you just got to try and, like, constantly... It's it's very robust discussions with people because they don't see... the, The argument to me would be, oh, yeah, but this is France, you know, and French rugby... This is acceptable and we have view. to protect our uh you know protect our our city and the best way to do that is to get stuck into a you know a claremont or a racing and, and see if they really want to be there and it's just bananas but eventually they you know when you try and actually give them more than than trying to i suppose physically intimidate the, their opponent there's lots of ways you can physically intimidate somebody in rugby without going going to that degree you know Um, there's lots of opportunities to have contact and it's trying to educate them on that but it wasn't easy but it's but the big thing to do is be really strong in your and and have real conviction around it and not because you're under pressure and you need a result say oh look at lads you know that kind of behaviour is acceptable or let it slide if you see it happen you you know you gotta just keep keep hammering away and and the next coach could come in and he could he could have a different opinion and and players will will fall back into those habits you know it's very it's very transient unfortunately and um, you know and just because as I said I think it's disappeared to a large extent out of the pro game um, that's, and when you do see an incident you've got a nip in the bud and uh, I just don't think we've done that just add very briefly
0: like we're pointing the f- that's probably the wrong term pointing the finger we're talking about French rugby Ian McKinley after he came back from his initial eye injury he played club rugby and he said he actually got two people tried to gouge him after he'd had an eye injury which is frankly one of the worst things I've ever heard
1: of on a rugby pitch as well so. and that was in Ireland yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, so like if that's the case like if that, like I'm coaching Beckett now. If if there was an allegation of gouging against one of my players, mm. I mean, you know, that needs to be looked into and dealt with in, a, in in a very serious way. You know, and that's that's the responsibility we have as coaches uh, at all levels. That um, like that's that's absolutely disgusting, disgraceful. And I don't remember anyone getting punished for that or you know, being a big deal about it. Uh, and it should have been, you know. So if it is in the game and it's drifting there and it's not unreported, well, that that's. That's horrible as well. And players need to feel, you know, that if they do say that they were gouged and they were gouged, that action will be taken and they won't be the one marginalized. That's it. Like, it's an
2: unnatural compulsion. And when something is as unnatural as that, it means that it's been learned from the top, if you know what I mean. Uh, So you just have to stamp it out at the very top and then hope that that kind of progress trickles through. Uh, You touched upon the Will Addison thing. Four weeks for him, like... I don't think there's really too many arguments to be made about it. It's just an unfortunate situation for him in that it halts his progress again in what has been a, a kind of a difficult few months for him, really, where he's trying to sort of re- rediscover some of that form of the last 12 months and uh, just has lost that little bit of momentum with both injuries and now this suspension at a crucial juncture in Ulster season.
0: Yeah, I think on the, the ban itself and the incident itself, there is probably a bit interest in <clears throat> that because it's so clearly a technique issue mm. and it just underlines that the way the game is going you're going to get bans for having poor technique which probably in the long term is is the best way to do it we were you know you speak to coaches now and they're getting that sense of realization that they got to drop lower and lower even if you're making that he like he did make a little bit of a dip but it wasn't enough and he's making such a kind of swift decision to to bite in on on uh, the player and the heads collide and yeah, that's the way the game's going. You're going to get a ban for that. If there's head and head contact, as the World Rugby data has shown them, they need to get that completely out of the game. So I'm not too surprised he, he's been banned. I think All-Star are very shocked that he's got four weeks in particular and it's that scale. Sometimes you're wondering about it. You think of those two Italian props for tipping Dwayne Vermeulen onto his head. They got three weeks and you wonder how they actually come up with the, the suspensions themselves. But definitely on him, it, it's been so frustrating. We can all see how good a player he is. I think when Ireland back at their World Cup squad selection, he was probably one of the players they felt, you know, if he'd been in a better position, he could have really contributed to that. I think Joe Schmidt probably would have been frustrated that he wasn't injury free through the 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 2019 kind of calendar. Um, but he has such ability, such a lovely player to watch the way he glides around the pitch. He does kind of things that you're told not to running across the pitch, but he often finds that little chink. He'll throw that pass, he'll take that risk. Um, and there's definitely still areas of his game to, to get better, but I think someone who will ha- have a have a future with Ireland if he can either stay fit or, or be on the pitch. This is just as you say; it sets him back a little bit more. Again,
1: your thoughts on the ban burner? Yeah, plan? I thought four weeks is fair. To be honest, I was shocked during the game that uh, the referee and and the TMO felt it was fine, um, and it was inter- like first I was just watching a BT, Stephen Ferris and Fern straight away said, "No, nah, it's that's, that's a." You no, know, I didn't need to look at this, this is serious trouble here. And then um thought it was okay. And it's just, again, yeah. it's just that education and consistency. I talked during the World Cup, okay, there was lots of, there was lots of um, maybe overreaction and things, but at least they were trying to set their stall out that, you know, any head contact was going to be, um, you know, disciplined. And, uh, and I thought if they were consistent with, what they did at the World Cup then that would have been dealt with on the field and it was definitely a yellow and I thought it was a red in hindsight you know they feel it's a red so um, I'm not really surprised and it's gonna, it's painful for players like him who, who it's not uh, it's not out of malice or it's not out of uh, you know real discipline it's just trying to trying to make a big hit but we just gotta keep keep working at it until t- technique gets so good that gets very you know like a, that, that that kind of tackle doesn't happen anymore uh
2: looking at the monster scrum half situation there, you, there was a piece on the site about it this morning murray just kind of an interesting uh, dynamic or dilemma now in that well it's not a dilemma actually like conor murray is still the guy but just with the departure of albie matthews and how things shape up behind murray clearly craig casey is perceived as being the future guy uh the boy wonder going forward but then you also have Nick McCarthy, who's I think only featured three times this season so far. And then Neil Cronin, who for a long time was lighting things up for Gary Owen and who I was personally see, uh, delighted to see sign what once they're actually given his AIL form. Um, Johan van Graan pointed towards the fact that Casey has been kind of told that he will be playing in the next few weeks and has almost assigned him fixtures, I think. Um, what, are your, what are your thoughts on on that situation and how things will shape up behind Murray? Because... Matthewson was being used as an impact sub and starting plenty of games. And obviously his overall impact at Munster um, needs no further uh, explanation at this point. But I suppose if you look behind Murray now, just in terms of people having played for Munster, none of them have huge experience, particularly in Europe.
0: Yeah, it's a really interesting dynamic. And actually, it was funny enough, Ruan Pienaar was up for interview as well. And he was talking about the time he got moved on by the RFU. And he has some sympathy for Matthewson who wanted to stay... De- desperately Munster wanted to keep him I think we can all understand this one very clearly there's three Irish come house there and as you say Craig Casey is, is a really big prospect interesting enough they've, they've just named their team for, for Edinburgh and it's McCarthy who gets the first shot at it he's come down from Leinster probably expecting probably to feature more I would imagine He's had those three appearances, as you mentioned, and he probably has had a few promises about how much yeah. he's going to play, and now gets his chance to to grab it. And that's what it is; it's a, a chance to really grasp hold of a, a place in the European Twenty Three, and the opportunity to then hopefully put some pressure on on Murray, because that's what Matthewson was doing. Like Van Graham was a a massive fan of his. He said he's the best example of what a professional player should be over his seventeen years in rugby, and he's obviously worked with some of the very best. So clearly, he made a huge impact. And even the fact that he came on so early in in the game last weekend. And and definitely made an impact. Every time he was on the pitch, I felt he added that tempo. He's obviously so experienced, played for the All Blacks, an an excellent player. And you would have thought, okay, Conor Murray probably feel a bit of heat, which is always a good thing for any squad. You you can't just have a a clear, a a clear kind of gap between uh, the the starter and everyone else, even though that often happens. I I think Casey's a really good prospect. He's a great little petty general. He's a great leader. He's obviously short in stature, but as we've seen with the t- under twenties, he, he punches well above his weight, and he's got a lovely passing game as well. So clearly has so much to learn. But I'm definitely excited to see him get in, in into the mix. Um, Neil Cronin's on the bench this weekend, and again he he'll be frustrated. Only played twice, I think one start, one one replacement appearance. But it is going to be an interesting dynamic, and that's what you want in any squad to to have guys desperately fighting even for sub appearances, and and hopefully eventually in in the next year or two, either McCarthy or. Or Cronin, indeed, or or Casey can really start to to push Conor Murray for his place.
2: Just what Murray was saying there about how you ideally wouldn't want a massive gap between your bona fide starter or your frontliner and his supporting cast, so to speak. Is that a concern at all, given that Conor Murray, while he's been reasonably decent for Munster this season, probably still hasn't hit the heights of the past, And now there probably isn't really anybody behind him that... Would put his position in the starting team in
1: jeopardy for the major games in
2: which he's expected to start.
1: Yeah, I, I, listen, I think Nick and, and uh, Craig are are really good players. I just, I think this is a really difficult one to to manage because I think for if if you want Munster to win a European Cup or Champions Cup or Pro Fourteen, even you know having Albe there is a is a big help. He wanted to stay. Um, I know the. They get, I know they've had a lot of. Uh, they don't. They're not all Irish qualified uh, initially, but they have a lot of Irish qualified players in that squad as it is. And, you know, and the two foreign players that are, they're talking about signing are coming next year. I think that that could have been one of the if you just maybe signed off on and, and said, "Look at uh, we Connor's away a lot with, with Ireland, um, and I'm sure I'll imagine that Johan would have been comfortable in agreeing that." Nick and Craig got a certain amount of games, but just having having matches in the, in the background there, you know, if, if Conor gets injured and Munster get knocked out of a group stages because of because of the nine not maybe having that variety in his game or that experience, it's another season gone, you know. And it's it's uh, I know it's all about Team Ireland, but I think just not making decisions based on 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 just what what the rules are. I think I I, I certainly wouldn't have had any 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 issue if he had been to stay, to be honest. And I and i want to see Nick McCarthy and, and Craig Casey come true, but I think he can do both. I think he can do both. And I'm sure, you know, from what I hear about um Abby is that he's not one of these fellas who throws the toys at a pram if he doesn't play every week. And he could he he could easily adapt to a role over the next seven or eight months where it's part player, part mentor, you know what I mean? Security blankets, um, if there's if Connor's out or Connor's not playing well. You know, like like it's it's a difficult one and, and I think um I think Munster have a, have a less of a chance of winning something now today than they had last week. That's a really interesting viewpoint. Like if you were director Roby there, you'd be fuming now Yeah, absolutely fuming It's just a handicap and it's so hard to win. It it like there's so many handbrakes and, and uh blockage blockers to, to winning a, a trophy in boat in the Champions Cup and uh and Pro 14 and you do you do a great job of finding this guy because he's been on the market. Like he's been around. He's, he's his career dipped yeah. to a certain. Like I could have got him in Grenoble at one stage, and he was he was floating around. Um, and he's come here, and he's you know he's he's found his form again, <laughs> and he's a valuable member of that squad. And for the sake of I believe seven months, uh, I, I think in a World Cup year, you know I just think that maybe there should have, could have been some flexibility there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and again. You know, with with Johan understanding that there's a there's a responsibility to make sure Nick and Craig get x amount of game time. I think as a DOR you'd sign up to that. But you know that you're you know that if 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 you need someone of his quality um, for a quarterfinal in Europe or or whatever that he's there. That's the, that's the perfect situation where there's fluidity and trust and understanding. Um, and again. Uh, like I know from from David Nusserfors' point of view and whatever, whoever else is involved in that, it's much easier having gone because now you know they have to play the lads. Uh, but it doesn't help Munster in this situation and tomorrow it'll be Leinster and the day after it'll be Connacht and Ulster um, achieve their goal, which is to, to win silver. Yeah. yeah.
0: And I guess from that bigger picture view, like Nusserfors probably looks at it as going, right, I'm going to sign off on DLN day and Snowman getting into Munster. I'm going to help them that way. He probably takes that longer term view of it. And maybe he doesn't always get every decision right. No one, no one does in any line of work. But there's that balance between yeah. the shorter term bit. Yeah. Which, to be fair, they've tried to kind of help. Like even Jed Holloway's on the bench for this game. Yeah. I know that's obviously not in the sure. same same category or same position, obviously. But yeah, but Johan might be the one to benefit from that.
1: Yeah, do you know what I mean? For, yeah. If you're Johan or or Leo or or um, you know any of the coaches you mightn't be you mightn't be the one you might be there in two years time he might be gone yeah. he might be gone because he didn't win silver it, it, so it's a very difficult balancing act yeah. the RFU do, do do it pretty well and um, I'm not saying that the system is broken I'm just talking about this situation here this case um, I personally feel that Munster would be better served him still being there and I don't necessarily think that would block Casey or, or Nick, Nick McCarthy as much as maybe other people fear
0: yeah well if Casey's on the bench in, in two years time for Ireland then News 4 will call us in and yes, give a press it. briefing and point exactly to that case as he does with John yeah, Cooney uh, yeah, when absolutely. it worked out and yeah, other but, times it probably hasn't yeah, worked yeah but Murray out. he
1: could he could be on a bench for Ireland in two years time and be a better player Yeah, because he's learnt yeah. more course. as well of course yeah that's true you know, what true? What I mean? yeah. you know like some players have come to Ireland like I know it goes back to uh, John Langford but his influence on O'Connell and O'Callaghan after he left yeah, was huge you know what I mean um, you know there's been foreign players who've come in and they've given more to the overall development of players than some coaches have mm. that's the reality of it yeah it's well, a
0: fascinating one and even to, speaking to go back to Pienaar speaking about his side of it and how tough it was for him to move away mm-hmm. now Matthews obviously has put in quite that amount of roots. he wasn't here for 7 years it was 15 months but there's that person side to as well I'm sure he's in absolute bits having to leave somewhere he's Absolutely loved as well. And Pien
1: are still feeling the hurt of, of that time, what, 2017? Yeah, but also, it's like, you know, you want players to come to Ireland from abroad to buy into it and perform. And also, on the other end of that, then they want to feel that um, if they perform and they really contribute to the whole organisation, you know, it's not a fixed term. Like we all, like f- people have to retire at 60. If they're doing a great job and they're loving it, there's usually flexibility around being able to stay. But, whereas we're kind of pu- sending this message out go to Ireland. They'll use you for what they can, mm. and then you're gone. You know what I mean. So you might as well come in and just just sit back and and take it. I'm not saying that players will do that, but it's just not really rewarding somebody who's really come in and had a, a big influence. And I think that's wrong. You know, um, and I know you need rules, but um, you know we should be able to have a little bit of flexibility. I think. Indeed, we'll talk about the other two provinces that we
2: haven't really alluded to. Then I wanted to kind of do a, a general uh, look back at the Champions Cup, but just time has gotten away from us slightly. Bernard, you went you expected Leinster to go down to Leon and get a very good victory, probably actually more convincingly than they did, but Leon probably showed us more than you expected them to yeah, show us. They
1: turned up, um, credit to them. Um they had a lot of ball, um, big big four pack as we knew. The half-backs Halfbacks control game pretty well and they had opportunities, just they were the complete opposite to Leinster in terms of being able to convert A zone or opportunities in the, in the 22 into points um, you know, A zone is it? A zone ent- ent- entries but uh, they just got sloppy they ran out of support they lost the ball in contact and just couldn't build that that momentum that they needed to uh, but Leinster from a from a defensive point of view was a really good showing uh, I never really felt Lentz were going to lose the game obviously at the end you're worried about maybe a draw if they get a breakaway try but I think that's a that's a good win and um, you know, Leon, Leon were disappointed I know some players in, in their squad they were disappointed to lose um, and they're definitely taking the Champions Cup seriously but for them the real focus is top 14 Yeah, I, I totally agree with that, it's always impressive
0: and the exciting thing is that Leo Cullen yesterday is talking about them being quite considerably off where he thinks they can get to this season obviously reintegrating all the Internationals has taken a couple of weeks so that's thrilling and and then to see those younger guys particularly Keller and Deegan step up to the mark in that type of game particularly if it was free-flowing open attack you'd expect them obviously thriving that but they got stuck in they muscled up they were Strong in contact against a big Leon team, and they did not stop tackling so really positive signs for both of them, I would say, even for someone like Andy Farrell watching on seeing him in a match that looked almost like a test match at times in terms of the brutality was really positive, and he had a conveyor belt keeps rolling it 's great that there are those positive sparks, particularly after the disappointment of the World Cup and and potentially some change coming in the Ireland squad one
2: hundred percent, yeah, we got your thoughts in detail as well on the members' podcast, and one day we did look back on all of the provinces, games in Europe. So members at members.the42.e if you want to sign up there and uh, we'll be rolling out these extra podcasts as the European season goes on and also during the Six Nations as well. Glasgow up next for Leinster-Murray. Uh, again, like I suppose, I- I'm not sure if the Leinster team has been named yet. Probably not because it's a day after. But uh, so we're not, exactly sure how they line out this weekend with Leinster it doesn't seem to matter all that much actually at the moment and Glasgow while I haven't seen much of them at all this season do seem like a club that are kind of in danger of slipping back a little bit at the moment
0: it's a really interesting one for them obviously Dave Rennie is going to Australia and we always tend to buy into that narrative the coach is gone so they're they're losing focus they have been a little bit uncharacteristically sloppy and even I watched the the Exeter game that some of the some of the opportunities they gave away weren't like them and they were forcing passes at times as well they clearly still have a lot of threat I think Leinster without we're expecting without all the internationals it seems like everyone who's integrally involved in the World Cup certainly will take the weekend off and come back for Europe which is literally just around the corner as well but as you say the team is going to be exciting no matter what people like Scott Penny Will Connors Jimmy O'Brien they were doing media uh, O'Brien and Connors this week and they'll have felt you know why weren't we involved in that match we've been playing well we've earned a shot so there's just so much competition it's it's so intense and it's such a good place for any squad to be that it's going to be exciting no matter what one quick one on Munster actually Ben Healy starting out half is exciting if we're talking about young players he obviously got into the European squad but didn't feature and he gets a, his first pro 14 start so definitely keep an eye out for him.
2: 100% that's good news for Ben Healy. Connacht host the Kings uh, that'll be live on TG Carr. Your thoughts on Toulouse, Bernard, and and
1: how they fared down there, just because we haven't heard from you. Yeah, well, on I that. thought um that were were probably unlucky now. Maybe not to sneak a bonus point. Uh, uh, they just struggled with that power once Toulouse got close to the line. But like with five or six minutes to go, you know, Connat were were seven points behind. They give away a scrum penalty and and they eventually concede and crack and give Toulouse the bonus point. But given where they're coming from, I think Andy Friend can take a lot of. Kind of pauses from it. The team definitely are um, are resilient and, and and brave. It's just getting that cohesion. Got a, you know. Got a lovely try. Their attacking game has still got lots of, I suppose, uh, dangerous parts of it. Um, but when they get a little bit more consistency in terms of the first choice players, kind will be a threat. But um, yeah, uh, to lose to lose, we didn't hit hit uh, the straps really either. You know, it was a dirty day. Um, they're always quite comfortable and probably just focus on their forward power and their size rather than actually playing that kind of wide, wide, offloading game that they're very, very good at. So uh, yeah, he wouldn't have said to Toulouse are, are going to win the Champions Cup on, based on the game against Connacht, Um but I certainly wouldn't write him off either.
0: Yeah, good news yesterday from the Pro 14 event that it sounds like Bondiaki's new central contract is just about to get over the line. Obviously, he's been negotiating directly with the union this time. It's going to be the first... Uh, Connacht central contract which is obviously a sign of progress it's fantastic as well that he's staying in Connacht when he's when he's getting a big deal like that rather than going abroad and potentially earning even more he's become such an integral part of it I was down there after the Montpellier game and we were sitting in the pre- press conference and the, fans, the young fans outside chanting his name for about 30 minutes before he came out they absolutely love him and he loves it as well he's such a kind of almost spiritual leader down mm-hmm. there now you, you see those big moments of contact where he's up on his feet kind of pumping his chest um, and has become absolutely part of the furniture around Galway as well the people love them, so it sounds like that's uh, going to be any day soon with an announcement um, and it's a great great one for for Connacht as well as Ireland just getting it nailed down without too much drama too many big offers from abroad or, or us reporting it anyway so all uh, well, positive on that front follows up on Kieran Marmion signing his new deal as well and and that's what you want you want to build keep in that squad with those key leaders yeah I and I think
1: that I agree with you I think the RFU handle that very well. Um, they got the business done before and didn't get a drag on and it's great to have them stay in Ireland. 100%. So Munster, Edinburgh, Ulster,
2: Scarlets, they are kicking off simultaneously on Friday night. And then we have got Connacht and the Kings. That seventeen fifteen on Saturday. Quarter past five and then Glasgow hosting Leinster uh, on the same day at 25-8. to eight. Can we expect for provincial wins.
0: Oh yeah, Connacht, yeah, Munster, yeah, Ulster, yeah, Leinster away, probably considering to strand their team. That'd be another good weekend. Yeah, let's go for it. Four wins.
2: Yeah, I agree, I agree. I think they'll, they'll get four. <laughs> super, super. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Podcast was brought to you today by Volkswagen, a proud sponsor of Irish Rugby. I have to run for a train to Galway for our quiz in the Pucon later on this evening. Looking forward to seeing a few of our Western listeners and, uh, yeah, we'll catch you then. We'll also be back next Thursday. Uh, no extra podcast this, uh, this Monday. So until next Thursday, enjoy the rugby over the weekend. And we will catch you then. Take it easy.
0: I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices.
1: Leinster could have me five mil a year. I wouldn't go. <laughs> it is Robby Rugby,
2: rugby, weekly.
1: Little reverse pass,
2: The realness spinning on the